my land and my people, the memoirs of His Holiness the Dalai Lama of Tibet. Chapter 2 The Quest for Enlightenment My education began when I was six and as I was taught entirely by the traditional system of Tibet, I must explain its methods and purposes. Our system has proved effective so far in maintaining a fairly high moral and intellectual standard among Tibetans, although it was established many centuries ago. By modern standards, it has the defect of entirely ignoring the scientific knowledge of recent centuries. But the reason for that, of course, is that Tibet remained entirely isolated until very recent times. The basic purpose of the Tibetan system is to broaden and cultivate the mind by a wide variety of knowledge. For the advanced standard of secular education, the curriculum includes drama, dance and music, astrology, poetry and composition. These are known in Tibet as the five minor subjects. They are not reserved for lay pupils alone but pupils receiving religious education can also choose one or more of them, and most of them choose astrology and composition. For higher education, the course includes the art of healing, Sanskrit, dialectics, arts and crafts, and metaphysics, and the philosophy of religion. Of these five higher subjects, as they are called, the last is the most important and fundamental. Together with dialectics, it is divided in turn into five branches. These with their Sanskrit names are Prangyaparamitra, the perfection of wisdom, Madhyamika, the middle path, which urges the avoidance of extremes, Vinaya, the canon of monastic discipline, Abhidharma, metaphysics, and Pramana, logic and dialectics. Strictly speaking, the last of these is not one of the branches or scriptures but it is included in these five great treatises to emphasize the importance of logic in developing mental powers. The tantric part of Mahayana is not included among them, it is studied separately. This religious education is followed mainly by the monks of Tibet. It is a profound study and effort is needed to understand its difficult subject matter. Beside providing a pupil with information, the Tibetan system lays down various methods for developing his mental faculties. To begin with, children learn to read and write by imitating their teacher. This, of course, is a natural method which one uses all one's life. To train the memory, there are rigorous courses for learning the scriptures by heart. The third method, explanation, is used throughout the world and some of our monastic colleges depend on it for teaching their students. But many monasteries prefer the method of dialectical discussions between pupil and teacher or between pupils alone. Finally, there are the methods of meditation and concentration which are specially used for training the mind for the advanced study and practice of religion. Like most children, I started by learning to read and write and I felt what I suppose young boys of that age generally feel, a certain reluctance and some resistance. The idea of being tied down to books and the company of teachers was not very interesting. However, I found myself doing my lessons 
to my teacher's satisfaction, and as I got used to the strict course of study, they began to mark my progress as rather unusually rapid. There are four different forms of Tibetan script. For the first two years, I learned from my senior and junior tutors to read the form which is used for printing. It is known as Uchen. At the same time, I learned a verse from the scriptures by heart every day and spent another hour in reading the scriptures. Then, when I was eight, I began to learn the ordinary written form of Tibetan, which is called Ume. I was taught this by an old companion, Kenrap Tenzin, who had been with the search party and came back with me from Dokam to Lhasa. He was a monk official and a man of character, who had a special gift for teaching small children. He followed the method which is always used in Tibet. He wrote the Tibetan characters without any ink on a small wooden boat which had been covered with chalk dust and then I had to write over the characters with ink. Beginning with large characters and later as I progress writing them smaller. After a time, I began to copy words which had written at the top of the board. For about eight months, I rode on wooden boards to acquire the proper form of script, and then Kenraptenzi began to allow me to write on paper. Later, my junior tutor, Tijan Rumbache, taught me grammar and spelling. Altogether, I spent about five years on writing Tibetan. This was in addition, of course, to my daily study of scriptures, morning and evening for religious training was the main purpose of my education, and reading, writing and grammar were only a means to that end. My religious education in dialectical discussion did not begin in earnest till I was twelve. At first it was not very easy, because I felt again a certain mental resistance, more intense than the similar experience six years earlier. But soon the difficulties disappeared and the subjects became more agreeable. I had to study and learn by heart the treatises on the higher subjects and take part in discussions of them, at times debating with the most learned scholars. I began on the Prangyaparamitra, the perfection of wisdom. There are over 30 volumes of commentaries on this treatise and the monastic universities make their own choice. I chose for myself, beside the fundamental principles of the treatise, two of its commentaries, one by the great Indian Pandit Singabhadra and the other consisting of 302 pages by the fifth Dalai Lama. Henceforth, I had to learn about a third of a page by heart every day and read and understand much more. At the same time, my training in the art of dialectical argument began with elementary logic. Seven learned scholars from the seven monastic colleges of the Drebung, Sera and Gandhian monasteries were selected to help me for this purpose. When I was just over 13, in the eighth month of the fire hog year, I was formally admitted to the two large monasteries of Drebung and Sera. On this occasion, I had to attend congregational debates at the five monastic colleges of these two monasteries. This was the first time I had taken part in public dialectical discussions on the great treatises and naturally I felt shy, excited and a little worried. My opponents were learned abbots 
who were formidable contestants in debate, and the meetings were attended by hundreds of religious dignitaries, all of whom were scholars and by thousands of monks. However, the learned lamas told me afterwards that I had conducted myself to their satisfaction. I will not ask all my readers of other religions to follow me throughout my further studies of Buddhist thought. For Buddhism is an intellectual rather than an emotional religion, and it has a literature of thousands of volumes, of which I studied hundreds. However, I have given a short explanation of the Buddhism of Tibet in the appendix of this book. And I will confess that when I was introduced to metaphysics and philosophy soon after I was 13, they unnerved me so that I had the feeling of being dazed, as though I were hit on the head by a stone. But that phase did not linger beyond the first few days. And after that, the new studies, like the earlier courses, became simpler and clearer. Nothing remains difficult once you get used to it, an Indian seer has said. I certainly found this was so in my education. One by one, other subjects were added to my curriculum. And as I went on, I found less and less difficulty in learning all that was required of me. In fact, I began to feel a growing inquisitiveness to know more and more. My interests reached beyond my allotted studies and I found satisfaction in reading advanced chapters of the books and wanting to know from my teachers more than I was supposed to at my age. The increase in one's intellectual powers is associated with spiritual development. At each stage of my training, I receive consecration of the mind and body in preparation for the higher doctrines. I had the first of these initiations when I was eight, and I still remember it vividly and the feeling of peace and happiness it brought me. At each of the later ceremonies, I could feel the spiritual experience which has always been associated with them. My belief and faith in my religion became deeper, the assurance in my mind that I was following the right path became firmer. As I grew more accustomed to these experiences and reached the age of about 15, I was able to sense a spontaneous feeling growing within me of gratitude to Lord Buddha. I also felt an immense debt to those teachers, mostly Indians who had given the Tibetans their invaluable religious doctrines and to those Tibetan scholars who had interpreted and preserved them in our language. I began to think less of myself and more of others and became aware of the concept of compassion. It was this sense of spiritual elevation which was attended on a mental plane by a sense of improved intellect, by better powers of memory, great proficiency in debate and increased self-confidence. Political and other circumstances, as I shall tell, did not allow me to carry on my studies like the scholars of great talent and learning who devote their whole lives to the pursuit of religious knowledge and spiritual enlightenment.